0: The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you. Jesus said to the religious leaders, What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But later, he changed his mind and went. His father went to the second, and he said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, The first. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the dominion of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw that, you did not change your minds and believe him. The Gospel of the Lord. To you, Lord Christ. The trees that make up the pews that are now holding our bodies had already grown to maturity before anybody else in this room had been born. And the barking that we hear from the dogs today was first shaped thousands of years ago by their ancestors living in packs and hunting in the wild. And as I watched them this morning, sometimes even the smallest ones, it seems like they can almost remember those days in the pack hunting. When Hurricane Maria made landfall on Puerto Rico 11 days ago, supercharged by warmer ocean temperatures, scientists tell us that within the Earth's warming layer of carbon dioxide, there's still swirls in that layer from right out here on Addison Street from the tailpipes of the Model T's that people drove to celebrate the opening of Wrigley Field back in 1914, the emissions from those Model Ts is still up there. Sometimes it takes like 200 years for carbon dioxide to fully fall out of the atmosphere. So while the people who drove those Model Ts are no longer on the road, their actions continue generations later. Whether it's trees or church pews or um, our pets... Um, hurricanes or fossil fuels. The question at the heart of the first reading today is, how do past generations relate to future ones? One part of our religious tradition emphasizes how the cost of injustice can get imposed on succeeding generations. So we heard that kind of strange parable. The, 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 The parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. So it's kind of like the parents drove the Model T's or the Studebakers and then the Chryslers and the children's streets are now flooded. There's another part of our tradition that we've heard today that pushes back against simply shrugging and accepting this as a foregone conclusion. Instead, the text today insists that God Desires to interrupt these cycles. God wants to allow every generation to begin again, free from oppressive repercussions from previous generations. Ezekiel says that we should look for God intervening between generations to end these deadly cycles, whether it's a cycle of domestic abuse or some form of enslavement or supremacy or environmental degradation. Look for God, Ezekiel says, disrupting these generational cycles. One of the earliest stories that we have about St. Francis of Assisi is about what happened at the town of Gubbio. After a wolf had made a number of kills outside the city walls, the village became kind of consumed with fear And they were obsessed with hunting this wolf down and killing it. The mayor especially was, the story goes. Francis intervened and went out to the wolf. As the story goes, they had a conversation, as one does. (laughs) The wolf explained to Francis its feelings of vulnerability in the face of the villagers. Francis explained to the wolf the fears of the villagers that they had of the wolf. And then Francis got the people and the wolf together, and Francis translated these feelings of vulnerability on both sides, and this cross-species summit ended with the wolf agreeing not to harm the humans, and the humans agreeing not to harm the wolf, and even the humans agreeing to make sure that there was always enough food for the wolf to eat So the story says that for the rest of the wolf's life, the wolf and the villagers lived in proximity and peace, with the villagers coming to celebrate and cherish this wolf, their former enemy, who is now their neighbor. Well, sometimes you'll see this wolf show up in icons of St. Francis, and I was actually surprised, happily, to see the wolf on the cover of our church bulletin this morning, and sometimes in the woodcuts or the pieces of art, there's actually, you can see St. Francis and the wolf sealing this agreement, hand-shaking Paul. Well, hundreds of years later, 1872, when the old church in Gubbio was being renovated, under a slab in the churchyard near the foundation, so the story goes, they discovered the skeleton of a large wolf. And so today... That skeleton rests inside a carved stone grave within the church. We could easily see this as just one more kind of cute story about a charming, uh, animal-loving eccentric. And those are nice stories too, aren't they? But this is also a story that speaks to a central Christian theme. That God hears the cries of all the vulnerable ones. All of them. And when we turn in reverence to those places that are fragile and vulnerable, we will encounter God's power rising up to heal us and to free us from the patterns that harm and enslave us over generations. Even in animosities that seem to have been set in stone over generations, like humans versus wolves, reverence for the vulnerable ones changes history those who have said no change their minds and they say yes and they go work in the vineyard. For many of us, pets have intervened in our own histories. You may know a painfully reserved person who in the presence of their pet breaks publicly into baby talk. During a difficult time, it's sometimes been some of Members of these other species who have comforted us, welcomed us home. The studies say they lower our blood pressure for us and they bring us joy. If attending to one another when we're in places of vulnerability, if if that's a sacred task, then our pets, in addition to kind of just cracking us up sometimes, they may be teaching us a kind of holy wisdom. How to attend to the vulnerable with compassion and unconditional love. We've experienced that. We've experienced that from them. And maybe that's why we bring them into our sacred space, into our church today. From outside the human family, they've intervened in our human generations. Jesus himself was called the Lamb of God. And probably none of us has had a lamb for a pet, but I bet we're able to relate to one of the Bible's images. That the world is being drawn into a great liturgy around a wounded lamb. Of course, the idea is that because in Jesus we have met a God who will not abandon the vulnerable and marginalized bodies of the world, but welcomes them, did you hear it in the gospel, welcomes them first into the reign of God. Because of that, in the Bible's imagery, in this great liturgy, every knee will bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every knee. Because of God's faithfulness to all the broken and despised bodies of the world, scripture imagines It's the whole cosmos, yes, taking a knee in reverence before the broken and wounded bodies of the world. The trees that make up these pews, trees that once held squirrels and owls and raccoons, generations ago, today in our generation, they're holding animals again. And they're holding the humans who are their friends. And all of us are barking and meowing and singing with the whole cosmos of this one who has made us all, breathed into us the breath of life, and who stoops in reverence to care for all of us wounded ones. Amen.